right. Well, if you got your Bibles uh, this morning, you can open them up uh, first to Matthew 19. We've been there. We've been talking about uh, marriage. We've been talking a little bit about divorce, remarriage. We've been talking about uh, sexuality. We've tried to go through a lot of different things kind of in this passage, mainly just because I think it's a really important section of Scripture for us to understand in our time and in, in our place. But let me just say this this morning as I, as I start to speak. Um, anytime you talk about divorce, in this room, I get it. There's all kinds of different people that have different uh, backgrounds in regards to something like divorce. Um, I, I come from a broken home. My parents uh, were divorced. It was ugly and messy and awful and there was nothing good whatsoever in it. And some of you have been divorced and you felt the hurt and the heartache of it. And so on one end, I do wanna make sure that you know uh, I'm not indifferent in to this issue in the least. Um, I just believe God's bigger. I think God's bigger than issues of our, our weakness, our failure, our shortcomings. His grace is sufficient for all things. And so I think we can speak to it with gentleness and kindness, but also boldness. And so hopefully that's how I'll convey it this morning as we, as we kind of work it through. But kind of the scenario is this in Matthew 19, just to catch everybody up. Jesus was heading back to Jerusalem. And I love this. He's this king that's going back to ascend his throne. But his throne's not gonna be in a, pas- a palace. His throne's not gonna be in pomp and circumstance like we tend to think of a king coming back to assume his throne. His throne was gonna be ascended through the cross, through the death of him. But don't miss this, Jesus rose again. And he was proclaimed both to the dead, to the spiritual realm, and then in his raising from the dead, the king had arrived and he was now intent as ushering in now resurrection, ushering in new creation, he's gonna change all things. And I love that statement of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, behold, all things are new. They are not only past tense, new, they are being made new, and one day, trust me, they will be very new. The king is reigning. But that's not what it looked like. Oh no, don't crap yet. That's not what it looked like, did it? Man, it looked so opposite. And you have all these people walking alongside of him, trying to figure out what he was doing. And little did they know he was going to defeat probably what is one of the greatest problems that we as humanity face, and that is our hearts. That's one of the words that keeps coming up in the book of Matthew. This need for a changed heart. God needs to change the heart. Now in this passage, that's really where I want to focus today. I'm going to actually try to really focus in on one section of this idea of the heart so that we can see how it connects not only to marriage, but why marriage even fails and what we're supposed to do in the midst of it. This one little concept around the heart, I think, is so important. And so I know I just told you to sit down. Now I'm going to ask you to stand up. Because we're going to read God's Word and we're going to kind of let the Word of God kind of lead us along into where we need to go this morning. And starting out in verse three, Matthew wrote this. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother 
and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and, and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, <laughs> it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it was given. For there are eunuchs who have been made so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. There are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Father, help us right now as we open your word. Help me to communicate it. I am in dire need, desperation of your Holy Spirit to guide my thoughts and my words. And so, Father, I submit to you. And Father, on behalf of this congregation, would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, allow us to submit so that we might have ears to hear what you're speaking to us this morning from your word. Thank you so much, Father. We ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, have a seat. <clears throat> I can hear somebody out there going, man, this is like the Catholic church. <laughs> Wait till we put in the kneel, kneeling benches. You're going to really love that. But one of the phrases I want to call your attention to this morning that kind of helps set the tone, and then we're going to go to Hebrews 3 here just a little bit. But it's this idea at the end of verse 6, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. One of the things that I really want all of us here to understand that call Cornerstone home, if you're somebody that's not a part of Cornerstone and maybe you're just here for you know, whatever reason it might be, is I want you to know that when God created marriage, he intended marriage to be something that was permanent. So what we do as a local church is we fight to, to help marriage be what God intended it to be because even that concept of a one flesh metaphor, if you think about it, to rip apart a one flesh reality is massively painful. For those of you that have been divorced or maybe the kids have divorced, you know this, that when that thing gets ripped apart, there is nothing good that comes from it initially. It is just flat out painful because that was never God's intent. You see this like throughout the scriptures. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 7 in a few weeks, but you'll see this idea that when God created something, when he brought it together, joined it together, this idea is to cement or yoke something together, there's a command. People are not to rip that thing apart. It is to stay together. There's simply, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk, I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw out of this a little bit, but in the grand concept of things, what Jesus is arguing is there is simply no basis for divorce. And I'm gonna explain more, so before you shut me off and walk out, let me just give you the preliminary understanding of this. In drawing their eyes back to the created order, Jesus looked at them and said, when I was there in the garden with Adam and Eve, in the design of marriage and what it was intended to be, it wasn't supposed to be ripped apart. I had something so beautiful and so wonderful and so incredible for this. 
Now, if you're like me, you're like, but that's nice. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Have you read Genesis 3? <laughs> and this is exactly where these particular Pharisees go. And they say to him, then why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. He's working through Deuteronomy 24, a little statement that kind of is the only passage within scripture that kind of speaks of the legal aspects of this particular subject. They said, okay, well, fine then. Great, Genesis 1 and 2. Well, then why, why did Moses then go, hey, here's what I would like you to do. Let me just show you a couple things that are very important inside of this text. Number one, Moses did not command if you look down, what Jesus clarifies is Moses allowed. It was never a command. And I will say this to you, whether it's me or anyone else, if we ever add or take away from Scripture, watch out because that person is trying to pull a fast one over on you because they have ill intent in what they're trying to do. It wasn't a command. Second of all, that word send her away, that is actually the ac accurate translation of the Old Testament, but actually the word that they use is a more technical term for divorce, which means in, in essence to put away. Now this could be done in a correct way like Matthew, or like uh, 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 Joseph did early on. We see that he was going to put her away, uh, Mary, because he wanted to protect her, but this is not what they're talking about here. In an interesting way, they're saying God commanded us as these ones in power and authority, that's what it would have been viewed at that particular time, is men had this absolute almost power and authority over the women, the children that they had. And we can basically discard her, right? Now here's what I think is so grotesque about this. This passage, Deuteronomy 24, was meant to protect the man, was meant to protect the woman. And a passage of scripture that God meant for protection, for wholeness, for goodness, of dealing with a tough situation, by the time it arrives at Jesus, now they're taking God's word, and in essence, they're weaponizing it for their own ends. It's grotesque. But let me just say this to you. I've often found in this particular passage, Matthew 19, I see people all the time, depending on what their bent is or what they're trying to accomplish, they grab text of scripture and they weaponize it as well for themselves, missing the very heart of God in these. This passage, Matthew 19, Deuteronomy 24, is not something to be weaponized and used against people. It's something that's given by God for our good and for our wholeness. It's given by God as a way to deal with what has become a very difficult situation. So while God did intend it to be permanent, he understood that after the fall, something changed and that something had to have a plan. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk more about that next week. But just hear me out here. If you ever hear this passage used as a means to weaponize against a person, to use against them in an ill way, that was never the heart of God. It is hard, it is difficult. It's gonna cause us to have to deal with some things. But don't miss in this, God understands that we live in a world that is in desperate need of transformation. And sometimes things happen. Now in this, 
He says in there something that I think is so important when we get into the kind of the beginning of verse eight. Look at this. He said to them, because of your, look at that word, hardness of heart. Now let me just say this to you so everybody hears it. He did not say Moses allowed divorce because of adultery. He did not say Moses allowed divorce because of abandonment. He did not say he allowed divorce because of abuse. And even the one that I hear probably more and more all the time, he did not allow divorce because you're unhappy. He said, because of your hardness of heart. Here's what's so important to what Jesus is doing. The cause of not only divorces to take place, but even you'll see this like by the, in, earlier on in Matthew 15, 19, where he talks about this idea, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery. There's one of the words we have in our text, sexual immorality we have in our text, theft, false witness. They come out of the what? The heart. And one of the reasons that Jesus is going back to Jerusalem to ascend his throne through his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection is the promise of Ezekiel 36 is that the greatest need that you have is not for me to solve, you know, who's going to win the Super Bowl. It's not for you to solve these different problems. Your greatest problem is your heart. You need that thing changed. In fact, the way that it talks about in Ezekiel, you need that old stony one you pulled out and you need a new fleshy one put in there. And when that fleshy heart comes in there, watch out because now you'll be able to be the people that God intended you to be. It's a heart issue. And so often what I see is whenever we're dealing with difficult things, right, we tend to go after the symptom. The symptom is adultery. The symptom is abuse. The symptom, it might even be abandonment. A symptom might be my unhappiness, but the problem is not that. The problem is the heart. And listen to me, oh, cornerstone. When Jesus died and was buried and rose again and sent his Holy Spirit to all who believe, our hearts will never be the same. It is the only cure for the heart. No matter the amount of psychotherapy you go to, the philosophies you land into, the religions you might go to, the only way that the heart can ever be transformed to be the people that you're intended to be is the radical surgery that happens that by faith when we come to know Jesus, that old heart is taken out, that stony heart, that new heart is put in. And I've heard this many times before, but when that sucker gets new, everything gets new. It changes everything everything. And so if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I can't say this enough. I want to plead with you. Your greatest problem is not government. Your greatest problem is not your spouse. Your greatest problem is not your children, I don't think. I don't kid. Your greatest problem is not your children. Your greatest problem is not your job. Your greatest problem is not your boss. Your greatest problem is not a fox with some rocks or some jocks. Your greatest problem is your heart. And my prayer today is that as we move through this, you will bend the knee to King Jesus and you will experience the heart change that only he can provide. 
Now, I'm not going to answer every question about hard-heartedness, but that's where I want to go today. I want to focus in on Matthew 19, 7 through 8, this, this idea of hardness of heart. And I want to go to another Hebrew text of sorts, a letter written to Hebrews called Hebrews. Fitting, isn't it? It's written to Jewish people, and in this particular case, you'll see this all throughout the book of Hebrews, the heart, the heart, the heart, the heart, the heart. God's after the heart. And in this particular text, one of the things that I love about it is that there's going to be a, 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 a way in which he's going to tell us to deal with this hard heart, and this is what I want to get after. So if you've got your Bibles, we'll open them up to Hebrews 3, and let me kind of walk you through this a little bit. Now, the connection to where we've been in Matthew is going to be in this word, Moses. This was a command that Moses gave. Well, all throughout the book of Hebrews to this point, he's been making an argument that, that Jesus is greater than prophets, Jesus is greater than angels, and even then he gets to the greatest of all the prophets, and he says, not only that, that Jesus has been counted, verse 3, worthy of more glory than Moses, which, by the way, to a Jewish group of people at that time, they would have been, excuse me? I don't think so, except it would have been in Hebrew. But he wants them to know, again, what I've been telling you, the only solution is Jesus. The solution wasn't prophets. The solution wasn't Moses. The solution wasn't angels. And even in that if statement down in verse 6, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, he lays out this if statement, but he starts with this idea of we are his house. There's this group of people that have been transformed by God. And let me say this, once you've been transformed by God, you will never be the same because he who began a good work in you, he ain't going to quit until the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to keep going and going and going. If you are in the hands of God, you are fully loved in the Son. But in this particular church, which is going to be probably the case in our particular scenario, there are groups of people that are passionate followers of Jesus. There are some of you in here that if we're being real honest, you're like, yeah, my wife or my husband drugged me here. I'm here, all right. Ah. There's that group of people. And then there's another group of people that are sitting on that fence trying to figure out what to do. And in Hebrews 3, I believe what he's going to go after is those who are struggling to commit themselves to Jesus. They're, they're probably not followers of Jesus yet. Again, we, we, we don't know. I don't know that for sure. And I don't want to get into that. But in this, he wants to give them a nudge over. He wants to help them to see this nudge that which now they can experience what they're talking about. And what he's going to do is, is in verses 7 through 11, you can kind of see that in your, in your Bible. There's going to be an example of hard-heartedness. We're going to go after that. We're going to then get to verse 12 and give a warning against hard-heartedness. I want you to see that. And then by the time we get to 13 through 19, there's going to be this cure and a curse for hard-heartedness. He's going to go after this idea of hard-heartedness. So let's look at the example starting in verse 7. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, now just stop. This one's for free, actually. I wasn't going to say anything, but look up. Notice he says the Holy Spirit says. But he's about ready to quote Psalm 95. Who wrote Psalm 95? David. This is what we believe about Scripture, that while human beings wrote in the way that they wrote with the language they had, the personality they had, the writing style they had, it wasn't the person necessarily writing the text. It was the Spirit of God carrying them along. We believe that when you open up your Bible, it isn't just a bunch of words that are from really neat people that did some smart stuff. 
This book is called God's Word for a reason. It was written, it, was author, it is authoritative because it was written by the Holy Spirit. Now in this particular case in Psalm 95, that's kind of what the whole section is in there to verse 11. It's David writing and he's looking back in the time of Moses and remembering them walking through the wilderness, but he's gonna bring it in about a thousand years later as a way to say, hey, we need to wake up too. There's this way in which Israel was disobedient in Moses' time. They were disobedient in David's time. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, and it's, we are still in some ways disobedient in our time. He tells the story in here of, of a time in which God rescued his people out of slavery, right? We see the Red Sea parted, if you've ever seen it, it kind of in the movies or different things like that. We see Pharaoh's army destroyed. We see God doing a miracle after miracle over and over again. But it seems like every time that happens, God's people don't believe, they complain, they murmur, and they rebel. And I think what David is say, was saying and what the writer of Hebrews was saying if you're one of those people that just keeps going through this cycle of murmur, complain, disobey, God does great things, murmur, complain, disobey, God does great things, I think he's saying to them like them, you could be in a bad spot. You could be outside of the grace of God in that way. And what he's going to tell them and what the writer of Hebrews is going to say is don't harden your heart. And here's the word that he uses there. I love this. In verse 7, he says, today. Today do it. Why today? All throughout the Bible, whenever the word today is used, it's used in such a way where it's like you've got to do it right now. Do it right now. Why? Because what happens is the more I go through this process of murmuring, complaining, disobeying, kind of disregarding God, knowing that something needs to happen, the heart becomes colder and colder and colder, and over time, it becomes frozen. The idea is it just becomes hard. Don't wait till tomorrow. For those of you that are old enough, don't be wimpy and say, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. If you don't know what that is, ask your parents. And if they know, that means they're really old. <laughs> but have you ever noticed that? I remember getting a phone call on Christmas Day, and a guy calls me up and he says, we gotta talk. So we kind of talked back and forth and agreed to time to meet. The probably Christmas Day wasn't the best day to do it on. And we got together and he began to tell me a story of a heart that went from soft to cold to hard. So much to the point where he said, finally, I was having a relationship I shouldn't have had with a woman. And he said, the one thing that I, I even thought about at one point was pulling my, my vehicle in front of a bus just to end it all. See, this is what you see throughout Scripture, and this is what's so serious about what the writer of Hebrews is doing, and even you can see this, what Jesus is trying to do with these people. This hard heart, like you're going to say later when he references sin, is just deceptive. We keep thinking, I'll deal with it tomorrow. I'll deal with this issue between me and my spouse tomorrow. 
I'll deal with whatever sin that I have tomorrow. I'll deal with something that I, I know that I need to deal with today, but I'll deal with tomorrow. And pretty soon tomorrow comes and the next day comes and the next day comes and you don't even realize it, but your heart has become just absolutely hardened, cold. As he says, today, it's urgent. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it talks about this idea of now is the day of salvation. Now, not later. Following him, choosing to make these decisions is a now thing. It's not a later thing. I mean, even right now, as, as I wrestle through my own heart, because I'm going through some things that I'm noticing in my heart, it's this reality that if we keep putting them off, we just begin over time to sear, to, to, to take and make our heart insensitive, to create scar tissue around the heart. We hear and we hear, we don't respond. And after a while, it just makes us insensitive. And that's one of my greatest fears even this morning. There are some of you that have sat in this church for years and you've heard message after message and you keep coming back, which I'm thankful for, by the way. I don't know why you come back because it's me but just there's this side of it. Your heart can be so, so hard. And he's going, today, do not harden your heart. Today. He says in there, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And he's gonna point back to Exodus 17. He's gonna talk about this idea of a rebellion on the day of testing. The hardness is in, in verse one in 17. It says, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin. And I think you could put that capital or lowercase s by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. And there the, part, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? By the way, there's the words. But the people thirsted there for water. The people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, taking your hand a staff in which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock at Horeb, and you will strike the rock, the water will come out, the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of all the elders in Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? See, this is where I think we become dead. We see God do great things, powerful things, some of them are like in, in, in Psalm 19, right? The heavens declare the glory. I, I went out for a walk this morning and I'm watching the sun come up. Have you ever thought about how nutty that is? A ball of gas burning at 9,000 degrees Fahrenheit, a blob of rock rotating in such a way now that up comes the sun and we have life because of the miracle that is our universe and our solar system that we live in. I was walking along just going, the grace of God. But not only that, you know this, you've seen things in your life. You've watched as God has done incredible things and the more that we see things without responding with trusting hearts, we just get cold. So cold that now all of a sudden, the moment something bad comes along, God, what are you doing? 
What are you? Where are you right now? As if he hadn't been there the whole time. He was doing it as a way to draw us near to him, and we interpreted it as, how dare you, God? Because our hearts just get cold. Even in there, that idea of testing and rebellion, that's what he's pointing back to. Your parents put me to the test and saw my works for, for 40 years and I was provoked at this generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. See, there comes this time, you'll see this like in the life of Pharaoh where he hardened his heart, hardened his heart. And then it says God hardened his heart. You see this like even in the book of Romans where people go after their sin. They go after this. They deny God. They shake their fist at God. They go do their thing. And after a while, God goes, okay, if that's what you want, there you go. And again, that's where I'm talking to some of you. Maybe all of us. Is there something right now in our lives that we're not dealing with today that needs to be dealt with today? And especially those of you are married because that's what I'm talking about now in Matthew 19. If the cause of divorce is a hard heart whether you have a healthy marriage or an unhealthy marriage or anything in between, my whole heart is, is that you not be like the people of Israel and complain and moan all the while while God and his grace is here for you today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of God's goodness. Deal with it today. In case you haven't heard the word today enough, do you get my point? Don't put off today. What if undealt with will just harden that heart over and over to the point where eventually God will say, if that's what you want, have it. I think there's also this side of it where he talks about this idea, they shall not enter my rest. I think so much of it is, and I'm thankful for this, so many times where I don't feel at rest in my marriage is because God is trying to get my attention. I'm like, why are things struggling? Why are they straining? Doesn't my wife understand how phenomenal I am? Oh, I'm a man of the cloth, a holy man, a vicar. Don't you know how good she has it? <laughs> She's rolling her eyes, I know right now. We don't find rest because God will not let us find rest until he changes that heart. And I am so thankful, Hebrews 12, I have a father who will discipline me because he loves me. There ain't no rest until you get down on those knees. So that's an example. But it leads to now a warning. Let me, let me show you that. Verse 12, take care. Now, on one end, we see that as like people were like, oh, take care. Take care, would you? Just take care. That's not what he's saying here, by the way. Take heed. Warning. Wake up. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, it talks about this idea of hardness of heart. And then in chapter 5, he says, wake up, O sleeper. Wake up. 
deal with that heart. He says in their brothers and, and sisters, it, it's just speaking to the congregation of a whole. He's speaking to those people that are passionate followers of Jesus. He's speaking to the people that might be sitting on the fence. He's speaking to those people that are just there because their husband or wife drug them along or that kid that got drugged along by their parents. i just there. You all, listen to me. Warning, lest there be in any of you an evil, and here's the greatest reality, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Warning. Warning. Your very reason why you could be sitting there in the state that you're in is because you need not only God to soften the heart, you need God to change the heart. You don't want to fall away from him. To fall away from the living God is to fall into the hands of the living God. We either bend our knee today or I promise you we will bend our knee later. And my greatest concern, like in Matthew 7, 22, when you look at that, is all these people gonna say, yeah, but I, I prophesied in your name, which is pretty cool. I'd like to be able to prophesy. We cast out demons in your name. We healed folks in your name. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. We didn't know each other. See, we're not talking about somebody who sometimes when we quote unquote put this has lost their salvation. We're somebody that has hung around a church that has heard the word of God preached, that has heard all these amazing things, seen the power of God, even being involved in prophecy and healing. Are you kidding me? But the biggest issue here when we're talking about this text is a heart that doesn't know God and God doesn't know you because you've never truly bent the knee to King Jesus. So that's the warning. Now let me give you the cure and curse. I've been waiting to get here. So what's the cure? Well, one of them is this. It's what I said earlier. If you're somebody that does not know Jesus Christ, you cannot change unless you bend the knee to the king today. Your only solution is Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father but by him. It's very exclusive, and I am not ashamed to stand in front of all of you and say there is no other way to the Father but through Jesus. That's it. But he says in there, exhort one another every once in a while. If you have time, every day. It's this word, parakaleo, to come alongside, to call alongside. In other words, if you want to deal with a hard heart, be in the lives of people that love Jesus. Now I say all that because our tendency many times when we become hard-hearted is to hide from relationship. But if you're somebody that's here right now that knows you have a heart that's either becoming cold, calloused, or even someone that has a hard heart in that, that way, get yourself inside of a community of people that parakaleo, that come alongside of you. They call you, that inside of marriage you have a spouse and you that exhort one another every day. Why? Because if we don't exhort every day, 
It will become tomorrow, but he says, do it as long as it's called today. By the way, does everybody get his, the writer's point today? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Get yourself around people. Now, that guy that I was talking about, one of the coolest things in the world is when he kind of came out of hiding, he showed himself to be one that had a, a heart that was ready to be transformed. Man, God began to do a work inside of him, and it's still to this day, I love to hear what God is doing through him at different points. And the bending the knee to Jesus, he became that statement that, I, you know, you always read about, but the same sun that melts the wax, right, that makes it pliable, he became that pliable one. What was so fascinating, though, and I see this all the time in marriages that get to this point, <clears throat> the same wax, or same sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. And I watched as his wife suddenly began to get cold. See, it's not just necessarily that we're off doing something sinful, but I could tell she was hurt. What her husband did to her was painful. That was not her responsibility to control him. But it's not just the, 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 the temptation maybe to do evil. You'll even see this. You may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's this idea in which sin can creep in. And I've always found this. Sin tends to creep in when we're sometimes at our weakest, when we're at our lowest, when we're at our most sad. And I watched as she began to pull away. I watched as she began to separate. I watched as she no longer had people around her. And the same situation that caused this man to bend his knee did the opposite in her life. This is the dynamic that I think I see all the time within marriages that struggle is this just back and forth in different ways. He says, be careful. I also see this like even with people that walk with people through divorces. And after a while, if you're not careful, even as you walk with them, that's why it talks about in, in Galatians 6, is to be careful as you walk alongside of other, other people that you don't get tempted into some of the same sin. That's why I've seen churches sometimes as they walk through divorce with, with couples, sides get drawn, people get angry, things start to happen. Why? Because we forget that the issue is even not the divorce. The issue is not the adultery. The issue is not all those different things. The issue is the heart. And that is the key that the writer of Hebrews just keeps getting after and getting after here. Don't miss the heart. So let me finish this way. I'm not going to go on to verse 19. I'm just going to finish this way. I don't know where all of you are today. I don't have a clue. I know where I am. I've been finding myself in a couple situations that I've been dealing with, I'll be honest. Gosh, sometimes life's just hard, right? Part of me wants to just go escape. Anybody that knows me knows I'm introverted and I think that I should live in the mountains as a hermit. I really do. My wife right now is going, oh, amen. Come on, boy. (laughs) 
Our hearts, if we're not careful, can just become cold. But I don't want that for this church. I want hearts that see the grace of God. You don't have to stay hidden. You don't have to stay in that position. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus today, 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 bend the knee to the king and you will receive a new heart and your life will never be the same. Your circumstances may not get better. In fact, those who choose to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. So don't come to Jesus thinking, oh good, life's gonna get better. It won't in many ways. Oh, but you'll see the world all kinds of different. You will see that pain and heartache and difficulty are not brought into our lives now to cause us to push away from God, but instead to draw near to him. And as we draw near to him, we are then shaped and molded more and more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Evil, pain, difficulty, heartache, while they may crush the world, oh, they don't crush us. They build us up and shape us into the people God's intended us to be. And if right now... You're struggling, come pray. Just come pray. All I want everybody to do, if you're there, come pray. If you're somebody that needs to follow Jesus and you haven't bent the knee, then you need to come pray. And then for the rest of us, let me do this. My heart for us as a church is that we would have hearts that are all kinds of full of joy. Not because of our circumstances. And I'll say this very shortly so you don't think I'm going on in my soapbox. We're coming into an election year, people. Jesus reigns. Be full of joy. You're about to experience things over this next year that are gonna be all kinds of difficult. I know in this room there are gonna be ones that are gonna get sick, that are gonna experience tragedy and trauma. Don't push away from God. Draw near. Draw near to people. No matter what happens this year, my heart for us as a local church is that out of these new fleshy hearts that we've been given because of the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, that despite our circumstances, this church will be full of joy. Not because of us, not because of our circumstances, because King Jesus reigns. He is ruling in our hearts and our minds. And so if you need prayer today, we'll be over here. If it starts to get overcrowded, we'll just spread across the room. If you're somebody sitting there going, oh, I don't want prayer, you're probably one who needs it. If you're somebody questioning whether you should, don't let any demonic activity happen to keep you from coming to experience the goodness and the grace of Jesus. Don't let your flesh block you from coming. For the rest of us, King Jesus reigns. He reigns in our hearts and our minds.
he gives us soft hearts for those that bend the knee. Experience that grace of God today and all God's people said, amen. Amen.